0: Who is as the wise man, and who knoweth the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom maketh his face to shine, and the boldness of his face shall be changed. Verse 2. I counsel thee to keep the king's commandment, and that in regard of the oath of God, be not hasty to go out of his sight. Stand not in an evil thing, for he doeth whatsoever pleaseth him. Where the word of a king is, there is power. And who may say unto him, What doest thou? Verse 5. "...whoso keepeth the commandment shall feel no evil thing, and a wise man's heart discerneth both time and judgment. Because to every purpose there is a time and judgment, therefore the misery of man is great upon him. For he knoweth not that which shall be." Now did you catch that verse? He's talking about man. "...man knoweth not that which shall be. For who can tell him when it shall be? There is no man that hath power over the Spirit to retain the Spirit, neither hath he power in the day of death." And there is no discharge in that war. Neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. Today, folks, I want to talk to you about the wisdom of humility. And I want to start by sharing a story I heard years ago. There was a young, hotshot preacher, pastor. He just graduated from seminary. He was pretty puffed up with himself. And he accepted a call to his first church, and it was a small rural town. Now he was a city boy, like I say, he just got out of school and he thought, man, what a deal, this church and this little community is getting with me. So he got on the field there and he hadn't even preached his first sermon as pastor yet and the local funeral home director contacted him and this happens at times and said, excuse me, uh, the, the men I usually use, they're busy, will you be available to come and preach a graveside service for a man who had no family and no friends. Well, of course, this young hotshot preacher, he's like, absolutely, I'll be there. And he thought, this will be a good time to prove how humble I truly am. Well, the day arrived, and he got directions to get to the little small country cemetery. But the problem was, he made a wrong turn. Instead of turning at the, the red barn, he turned at the white barn. Went the wrong way. Well, he arrived 30 minutes later than he was supposed to. Well, he was upset because he was late and he noticed that uh, up on the hill next to the caretaker's house, there was the backhoe. And the guys operating the backhoe were taking a break, but the hearse was nowhere in sight. He thought, oh no. He said, I'm still, I'm going to go through with it. He got out of his car and ran up there and stood by the empty grave or the open grave and he looked into it. They already had the concrete lid on the, the, the grave box. He thought, that's okay. And he went ahead and preached. And the only two people there were the guys running the backhoe. And he preached a passionate, lengthy sermon. I mean, he was determined to send, uh, you know, the, the, the one that had passed to send him away in style. After he finished preaching, he said amen. He turned to walk back to his car and the two workers were still sitting there looking at him. One of them said to the other and said, Joe, have you ever seen anything like that? A guy named Joe said, no, I ain't never seen nothing like that, never heard nothing like that. And I've been putting septic tanks in for 20 years. (laughs) I can assure you that young preacher left a whole lot more humble than he did when he showed up. Now folks, humility, that's a a subject that's easy to preach but, but hard to practice. Now, the Bible tells us we must be humble. But here's the problem we must be humble without ever knowing that we're humble. And I'll tell you why. Whenever a person tries or works to be humble, they run the risk of becoming proud of their humility. And that does away with being humble altogether. Now, the Bible has a great deal, has a whole lot to say about the matter of humility. One thing we learn is that God gives special attention. To the humble. Matter of fact, Psalm 138 verse 6 tells us that God looks favorably on the humble. It says, uh, Though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly, but the proud he knoweth afar off. Luke chapter 18 verse 14. It tells us that God promotes the humble. Jesus himself said, Everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. In Job, in the Old Testament, Job chapter 22, verse 24, it tells us that God, He preserves the humble because it says, God shall save the humble person. And then James chapter 4 and verse 6, one of the great verses in the Bible in the matter of humility, it reminds us God protects the humble because it says this God resisteth the proud but giveth grace. Under the humble. James says that uh, that God knows our heart. God sees our humility. And folks, I'm going to tell you something. I believe the Bible is clear that rather than being haughty and proud, we should be humble. Rather than seeking to elevate our status, we should seek to be lowly at heart. Do you agree with that? Now I realize that is completely against society today. That's completely against our culture today. I read a story yesterday, one of my favorite actors, I don't have very many by the way, but uh, one of my favorite actors, Tom Selleck, he was being interviewed and uh, he was asked about uh, humility and being humble. He said, you know what, whenever I get too full of myself, he said, the good Lord reminds me of an incident that took place on the streets of Honolulu one day. He said, it was back in the 80's. Now how many of you know who Tom Selleck is? Everybody my age and up, sure you do. He was Magnum P.I., right? He was a cowboy. Uh, uh, He said, back in the 80s, when Magnum P.I. was at the height of its fame, he said, I was pretty swelled up myself, thought, well, everybody knows who I am. He said, I was standing on the street corner there in Honolulu, and he said, I noticed an elderly couple walking up to me, and they were all smiles, and the man was holding the camera. He said, well, as soon as they got close to me, he said, I struck a pose. He said, the couple stopped, and the old man kind of, Looked at me bewildered like, and he said, Oh no, no son, we don't want a picture of you. we just wondering, since you're standing here doing nothing, would you take a picture of us? (laughs) He said, I took the camera said, Yes sir, I'd be glad to take a picture of you and your lovely wife. He said, I took that picture, I visited with them for a while. They went on about their vacation. He said, they had no idea who I was. He said, I'm going to tell you something. God has a way of allowing humility to put us in our proper place. And I believe God does. And thank God for those humbling moments. Well, here in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, folks, the subject matter is that of humility. And Solomon, what he does, he reminds us that we ought to be humble because of three important truths. First of all, to live and lead a humble life, the first thing we need to do, we must admit the unknowable. Let me explain to you. There's one thing that I know for certain. And that is, I do not know everything. I know that. Do you? I mean, I've told you before, I don't know how a brown cow eats green grass and gives white milk and yellow butter. But I still drink milk and eat butter. There's a lot of things I don't know. Folks, there's a lot of things in the realm of the spiritual. particular deep things, mysterious things, that I do not know. They're too miraculous. They're too marvelous. Folks, they're too wonderful for my finite mind to conceive. Now I want you to look at verse 7. It says that man knoweth not that which shall be, for who can tell him when it shall be? Solomon begins his discussion by reminding us that we don't know everything, and a wise man is a man who admits that he doesn't know everything. Now in this discussion, the first thing Solomon talks about is the mystery of wisdom. Look at verse 1 again. He said, who is as the wise man, and who knoweth the interpretation of a thing? Then again, verse 7. We're left to ponder the idea. says, we know not that which shall be, and who can tell us when it shall be? Folks, in other words, both wisdom and knowledge, they possess great mystery. Now the Bible speaks volumes concerning the subject of wisdom. And also, I may add this, the Bible repeatedly warns us time and time again about becoming wise In our own eyes, in our own estimation of ourself. Uh, Proverbs chapter 3 verse 7. Be not wise in thine own eyes, fear the Lord and depart from evil. Proverbs 26 verse 12. Seest thou a man wise in his own conceit, there is more hope of a fool than of him. The prophet Isaiah gives a clear warning. Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 21. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Now the implication with all these verses, folks, is that when we appear wise to ourselves, actually we're appearing foolish before God. So... While we should be in pursuit of wisdom, we should never be proud of wisdom. It's a mysterious thing indeed. But I believe, folks, the mystery of wisdom leads us to think about the marks of wisdom. And Solomon talks about that. Solomon seems to say when a man possesses true, godly wisdom, it will impact and influence his life in a powerful way. And look at verse 1. I believe the text suggests that wisdom is reflected in the person's appearance. It radiates their appearance. Verse 1 tells us wisdom... Makes a man's face to shine, and the boldness of his face shall be changed. In other words, a man who is truly wise is changed by the wisdom of God, and even his countenance, even his appearance, folks, it reflects humility. And I'll tell you why. Because a wise man, he knows that he doesn't know everything, and he also knows that what he does know has been imparted to him by an all-knowing God. David Jeremiah said it the best. He said, a truly wise man, a truly wise man knows how much he does not know because he knows who he does know. The further mark of wisdom is not only that of a a radiant appearance, but I want you to notice verse 2. I believe it's also a ready obedience. In other words, folks, a wise man is going to be an obedient man. He's going to be a man of humility. Verse 2 says, I counsel thee to keep the the king's commandment, and that in regard to the oath of God. Solomon goes on to say, look at verse 4 and 5. Where the word of a king is, there is power. And who may say unto him, what doest thou? Whoso keepeth the commandment shall feel no evil thing. And a wise man's heart discerneth both time and judgment. Folks, that passage reminds me of what Paul says. In Romans chapter 13 and verse 1, where it says the powers that be are ordained of God. In other words, God has established authority and we are to submit to that authority. Once again, I realize that is not popular in our culture today. But the Bible also tells us rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. So rebellion is doing service unto Satan. God makes it real clear that the only power, true power and authority there is comes from His hand. So what Solomon is saying is a wise man is going to be obedient to his superiors but also to his sovereign. Humility is knowing when to submit and when to obey even in circumstances where we lack understanding. Now there may be times, folks, we may not know in a certain circumstance but that still, that does not keep us from being obedient. That's what I want you to grasp. I mean, there are times, have you ever had to be submissive, be obedient to a boss that you really didn't care for? Well, there are, rules, there are laws that we have to be submissive to we may not like. Now, I'm not talking about an ungodly, unbiblical law or ungodly, unbiblical person. I've preached on this before. You can be respectful of the office without, without submitting to a godless law. Okay? Uh, Let me me put it this way. Take the church. There may be decisions made in the church at times that doesn't sit too well with you. But listen to me, folks. We must demonstrate humility by being obedient to God's ordained authority and let God sort out the details. You say, why? Look at verse 6. Because to every purpose there is a time and judgment, therefore the misery of man is great upon him. Notice that phrase, the misery of man. That suggests it's not always easy to know how or when to obey. It also gives the idea that if you are going to question authority, there is a proper time and place to do that. Now I want you to know something. It's not always easy to know what God wants us to do. Would you agree with that? Well, let me tell you why it's not always easy to know what God wants us to do. In those times, it's usually because we have our own agenda and our own plan in our mind and we do not want to let go of what we want in order to follow what God wants. But it's in those times, especially those times when we don't understand that we must show humility and submit to the plan and the purpose of God that He's wanting to carry out in our lives. So I want you to listen. If we have any chance of being humble, we must first admit the unknowable. There are things that you and I cannot know. Will not know. But secondly, we also need to accept the unchangeable. Solomon teaches this, folks. Look at verse 7 again. Some translations render it like this. Since no man knows the future, who can tell what is to come? In other words, we learn very quickly while we may not have control, God has ultimate control. There can't nobody... Tell us the future. I know you might go to Madam Zorba Zorella, whoever it is, and she's going to take your money and try to convince you she's telling you the future. There is but one being who knows the future for sure and certain, and that's Almighty God. You don't know it. I don't know it. Nobody else does. You know, I believe, folks, accepting the unchangeable, that's one of the biggest things that brings wisdom to our life and also keeps us humble accepting the things that we can't change. Let me read you something. Spurgeon said, There is no attribute more comforting to his children than that of God's sovereignty under the most adverse circumstances, even in the most severe trials. God's children believe that sovereignty has ordained their afflictions, that sovereignty overrules them, and that sovereignty will sanctify them all. For it is God upon the throne whom we trust. To that I say amen. He's absolutely right. Now folks, listen. Our text... It implies two specific things that are unchangeable and beyond our control. And the first one is the certainty of an ended life. It reminds me of a story I heard, maybe you've heard this, a little boy sitting on the front row during a revival meeting. And the evangelist said, everybody who wants to go to heaven, raise your hand. Well, everybody raised their hand except that one little boy. The evangelist said, son, don't, don't you want to go to heaven one day? The little boy said, yes, sir. But I thought you was getting a group together to go tonight. And I really didn't want to go tonight. Well, folks, I'm going to tell you something. The fact of the matter is that death is coming. It may not come for you tonight, but rest assured, it's coming and it's right on time. It's right on schedule. It is beyond our control. Look at verse 9. Or verse 8, I'm sorry. Solomon says... There's no man that hath power over the Spirit to retain the Spirit, neither hath he power in the day of death, and there's no discharge in that war, neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. Folks, life and death, they are completely, totally in the hand of God. No man, no woman, no person has the power to retain the Spirit when God calls that Spirit home. God's in charge. And furthermore, let me say this while I'm on this point. I think you know where I stand on this and where I believe God's Word teaches on this. But no person has the authority, no person has the right, folks, to choose the day of their death, to end their life. I realize that's a great debate, again, in society today. But I'm going to tell you, even though some people do choose that, they do not have the right to choose that. You don't have the right. I don't have the right. Because that authority rests In the hands of God. During her lifetime, Queen Elizabeth I, she was considered the most powerful woman on earth. But as she was dying, I want you to listen to what she said. She said, Oh my God, it's over. I've come to the end of it. I have only one life and to be done with it. To have lived, to love, to triumph, and now to know that it is over. She said, I have learned one great lesson. One may defy everything else, but no one, Can defy death. Friend, I want you to think about this. Knowing, now knowing that we can really, we don't control life and we do not control death, you know what? That ought to put us in our rightful, humble place. Now the fact that we can't do anything about death, then there's only one thing for us to do, and that is to make preparations for death. So I'll ask you, are you prepared for that time? Have you given your life to Jesus Christ? If not, you are unprepared for that moment and that time. There was a king I heard about who had a court jester. He was very fond of him. He actually loved his court jester. So this very powerful, influential king, he had a special scepter made up. It was a gold scepter encrusted with many jewels. I mean, fabulously expensive. And he presented that to his jester. He said, I'm giving you this scepter because you are, my friend, the king of fools. He said, but with one stipulation. He said, if you ever in all your travels run across somebody else who's a bigger fool than you, you've got to give them the scepter. The jester said, sire, I shall do it immediately. Well, not long after that, the jester left on a trip, and he was gone about four or five months. When he came back, word came to him that his beloved king was on the brink of death. So he rushed to the king's chambers, and he knelt down... Beside the king's bed. He reached up and he touched the king's hand. And he said, sire. And the king opened his eyes and he saw his gesture there and he smiled at him. The gesture said, sire, they tell me that you are about to leave on a long trip, on a long journey. The king said, yes, I am. The gesture said, well, sire, have you prepared for that journey? The king said, no, I have not. Then that gesture dropped his head and with a sad look on his face. He reached in his satchel in his bag, he pulled out that scepter and laid it on the king's chest. He said, then sire in all my travels I have met no greater fool than you. Now I want you to listen to me. The songwriter said moments are fleeting, deathbeds are coming. I realize we don't like to talk about death. We don't like to think about the subject and the matter of death. But even, if, even though we don't like to talk about it and think about it folks, that does not change the fact that we all have an appointment with death. And it's an appointment you are going to keep, friend. You're not going to reschedule. You're not going to cancel that appointment. I want you to think of it this way. I've said it before, but it bears repeating. There was a time, friend. There was a time when you were not. But there will never be a time when you are not. Because a hundred years from now, everybody in this room, you're going to be somewhere. You're going to be some place. And now listen to me. Apart from the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, each and every one of us will arrive at our final destination by way of the grave. So let me ask you, do you know where you're going to be five seconds after you die? I hope you do. Now I'm going to make it real clear and simple to you. There are only two destinations. You either accept Jesus Christ, you repent of your sins, you humble yourself before Him, you accept Him as your Lord and Savior, and you spend eternity with Him in heaven, or you reject, you refuse Jesus Christ, you continue to live for yourself, you continue to deny Christ and fool yourself, and you spend eternity in a place of torment, separated from God, a place called hell. Those are the two choices, friend. There is not a third. And that decision is yours. Are you prepared for the thing that you can't change? None of us can change that fact. I want to tell you one of the certainties of life is there is more to life than this life because this life's going to end and eternity is forever. The certainty of an end of life, I think, will lead us to consider the tragedy of of a wasted life, an empty life. Look at verse 10. Solomon actually attends a funeral service. Look at verse 10 and so I saw the wicked buried who had come and gone from the place of the holy and they were forgotten in the city where they had, had so done this also is vanity now let me kind of break this down for you there was a, a deceased man and apparently I guess he had gone to church maybe even frequently the place of the holy but he received apparently great praise uh, even though he lived a very ungodly life yet he was a, had a magnificent funeral while the truly godly people of the city were ignored and forgotten Now in Solomon's eyes, Solomon says, that just ain't fair. That's not right. It's vanity. Now, folks, listen, I realize in many ways life seems unfair. Life seems unjust. Someone who lives for God is ridiculed, but someone who lives for the devil, they're praised. The story don't end there. All right, look at verse 12. Though a sinner do evil a hundred times, and his days be prolonged, yet surely I know that it should be well with them that fear God, which fear before him. Look at verse 13. But it shall not be well with the wicked, neither shall he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he feareth not before God. Now let me break it down. Solomon is saying that when it's all said and done, when it's all over, the sinner's going to get what's coming to them, and the saint's going to get what's coming to them. And, he, and Solomon says the safest uh, rule of thumb is to fear God, to reverence God, because if you do that, it'll be well with you. Now, listen to me, folks. I realize. I realize how we get the feeling life, in life at times. But understand, one day, God's going to call into account. All through the history of mankind. All these wicked people that you hear about. Hitler and, and uh, Stalin and Hussein. And, 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 and all these people. God's going to call them in front of Him. And one day, all these people that we hear about that seems to escape justice in this life, one day they're going to be called before God. Now listen to me, Christian. They may not get what we think they deserve in this life, but they're going to get what's coming to them in the next You say, I don't like that doomsday preaching. That's biblical preaching. Let me tell you something. We have a God of love, grace, and forgiveness, but we also have a God who is holy, who is just, and He is a God of righteous judgment. And you either turn to Him, or you pay the price. And I'm going to tell you one day, these folks will get what they deserve and forever and ever, they're going to live with a tragedy of a life that was empty, that was vain, that was wasted because they lived a life without God. You know, folks, we live in a generation and, and, and it, this, this attitude, this mindset has invaded the church of our day too. We live in a generation that wants to go its own way, do its own thing, and they think they know better than the wisdom, the will, and the Word of God. And so many times, those of us that are Christians who are striving day by day to live that righteous life, I think we get to having a pity party for ourselves at times. Do we not? Look, I'm trying to do what's right. I'm trying to live what's right. And look at these people. God, do you sleep? Do you not see what's going on? And you know, because a lightning bolt doesn't flash from the sky and hit them, we get the idea, yeah, God don't care He's asleep at the wheel. I want to assure you of something. God is not asleep at the wheel. And God does care. And one day, in essence, we're going to hear God say, vengeance is mine, I will repay. So Solomon says that the only way to avoid the tragedy of an empty life is to fear God, to reverence God. And let me tell you how that starts. That begins by having a relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. You cannot reverence God. You cannot fear God. Any other way than starting at the cross with Jesus Christ. You say why? Because that's God's plan. And you must surrender and submit to His will and follow His plan. Because otherwise, if you don't, then friend, you will sow what you reap. The Bible is very clear on that. Finally, in order for us to stay humble, to be submissive, we must admit the unknowable. We must accept the unknowable. The unchangeable, but we also must acknowledge the unexplainable. You know, there are things in life that we're not going to be able to explain. And I got to tell you something, folks, sometimes, well, let me be honest with you. I don't think anybody gets asked more questions than a preacher does about things that do not have answers or no way that any human can answer those questions. You know, I have people ask me things all the time and I'm like, what? in case you didn't know it, I'm not the Holy Spirit. I'm not even that intelligent. So why are you asking me those questions? But honestly, people ask things of preachers at times, and you're like, are you kidding me? That debate's been going on for 2,200 years, and you want me to answer it? Look what Martin Luther wrote about it. He said, no, I'm not dealing with that question. Listen to me, folks. There are so many times in my life, the only thing I can hold on to is the fact that there is a God and I am not Him. So, let me say this. and I want you to pay close attention. If we are to keep our sanity in life, when there are so many things that we don't know that we can't change and we can't explain, then there are two ways to live. Number one, we must embrace the sovereign control of God. I want you to look at verse 16 17. Solomon says, When I applied mine heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done upon the earth, for also there is that neither day nor night seeth sleep with his eyes. Verse 17. Then I beheld all the work of God that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. Because though a man labor to seek it out, yet he shall not find it. Yea, further, though a wise man think to know it, yet shall he not be able to find it. Let me give you some illustrations to explain what he's saying here. In his book, Can Man Live Without God? Robbie Zacharias, he tells the story of how he was visiting uh, several years ago with a a British journalist by the name of Malcolm Mugridge. Now, the Mugridge household had a young lady years ago that lived with him by the name of Svetlana Stalin. Well, yeah, she was the daughter of, of the evil communist dictator, Joseph Stalin. And she relayed the story to them of how her father died. And she said that he was in the bed, and he had been tormented for weeks with horrific, terrifying hallucinations. She said, then all of a sudden he sat bolt upright in bed. He clenched his fist, shook it toward heaven, gritted his teeth, and fell on his pillow and died. Now I know people say, "Well, I would never dream of shaking. I'd never dream of shaking my fist in the face of God." Really? So many people do every day of their lives. Every day. And sad, but many people who profess to be Christians do it every day of their life. See, when you refuse, resist, and rebel against God's authority and control, you are shaking your fist in God's face. Now the people I'm talking about that rebel against God's authority and control, their motto in life is, I will do it my way and my way only. I mean, their attitude is, I don't care what God says, or what God's Word says, I'm going to do what I want to do. The person I'm talking about looks to heaven and says, God, not thy will be done, but my will be done. Friend, the Bible says the only way God exalts us is if we humble ourselves before Him. And Solomon says that we are to humble ourselves before God. And to do that, we have to admit, folks, we do not know some things. We have to accept there are things that we cannot change, and we must acknowledge there are things we cannot explain. And by doing that, we're embracing God's control and authority in our lives. We're submissive to the fact that God and God alone has total sovereignty over this world and over our lives. Finally, when we embrace the authority and the control of God, folks will enjoy the goodness of life. Because look at verse 15. And I believe this is the theme for the entire book of Ecclesiastes. It says, A man hath no better thing under the sun than to eat and to drink and to be merry, for that shall abide with him of his labor the days of his life, which God giveth him under the sun. You know, many times we have seen, and we'll continue to see as we continue through the book of Ecclesiastes, folks, we have seen that, that, that many times in this book, Solomon, he reminds us to enjoy life. Enjoy life. But here, here in chapter 8, the first part of chapter 8, he says, yeah, there are things we don't know, things that, that, that we can't change, there are things that, that we can't explain, but basically verse 15, he says, in spite of all that, live it up we can still enjoy life. It sounds kind of like a paradox, doesn't it? But let me explain to you. Solomon has learned, and what Solomon is doing is teaching us that if we can admit the unknowable, folks, if we can accept the unchangeable and acknowledge the unexplainable and simply trust God with everything, then we'll be able to enjoy the goodness of God in everyday life regardless of what we might face. That's what He's teaching us. The world's philosophy says that enjoyment comes through happiness and, and you know, through pleasant circumstances. That means enjoyment, the only way you can have enjoyment is when everything goes your way. When everything is just right, just for you, and it's just like you planned it to be. The Bible teaches that enjoyment is a gift from God. And it's not dependent on circumstances, because God is God, and He's always God. And if you had not heard this lately, listen. God is good all the time, right? And all the time, God is good. True enjoyment doesn't come from having everything your way. It comes, folks, no matter what we might be going through in life. It comes as a gift from God who's able to give us peace in the midst of the worst storms that we face. Who is able to show us love when there seems to be only hatred. From a God who's able to show us light when we're surrounded by darkness. Folks, in other words, if we will embrace the law of heaven, you say, what's the law of heaven? God is sovereign. If we'll embrace the law of heaven, then we can enjoy our life here on earth. We just have to admit what we don't know except what we don't, can't change. And acknowledge what we can't explain. And then from there, we just move on. And we begin to continue to walk on. To lean on. To love God. To serve God. And continue to hold to His unchanging hand. Regardless of what circumstances happen in our life. I'm going to close right here, folks. I'm going to tell you something. I don't want God to humble me, but I do want to humble myself before Him. You say, have you been talking about humility? Absolutely. You know the problem why many folks will not humble themselves before God? Because of pride. They don't want to admit the fact that there is somebody who who has control when they don't. They don't want to admit the fact that there is a God that they're going to have to answer to one day. And wisdom tells us that if we'll listen. Now I don't want God to have to humble me. I'd rather humble myself before Him. Although, and I'm going to repeat it, there are many things I do not know. Many things will not change and I cannot change and many things I cannot explain. All those matters, I'm going to leave with God. He's big enough to take care of that. He can handle that. I'm going to recognize that He'll show me what He wants me to see. He'll teach me what He wants me to know. He will guide me where He wants me to go and He'll tell me what He wants me to hear. Folks, that's enough for me. How about you? you bow your heads, please? Just a moment, Brother Jim will lead us in the hymn of invitation. And there's no doubt in my mind, in a crowd this size, there are some here today, you have never humbled yourself before God. You've never never submitted to His will. You've never given your life to Jesus Christ and started and established that relationship with God. That's where it all begins at. That has to come first. So I'm giving you that opportunity. I'm giving you, to forget about church membership, baptism certificates, Sunday school, good deeds, tithing your money. I'm giving you the opportunity to get real and to get right with God this morning. And then there are some, you are Christians. You're a child of God. But because of pride, rebellion in your life, you're not living the way God's called you to live. You're not following God's will and God's plan for your life. Well, is it any wonder you don't enjoy life? You say, well, it's hard to enjoy life. You know, if you, as a Christian, you face persecution, you face this. Then you're allowing circumstances to dictate your joy in life instead of God what you need to do is today, afresh and anew say God everything that I am and have and ever will be it belongs to you you speak I'll listen, you lead, I'll follow you got your opportunity to make that decision right now, Father I pray for those who need to make a decision whatever it is, they would be obedient this morning, give them the courage Father, and convict the hearts. In Christ's name, amen. Would you stand, please? Anybody else? I'm going to ask you to just keep your heads bowed for just a moment. We're going to sing another verse in just a minute. But i want to ask you, do you hear the words of that song that you're singing? Do you actually hear what that song is saying? And I'm asking you, can you sing that song with your whole heart? I want you to listen to the words of this song. If nobody comes after this verse, we'll close the invitation. One more, one more verse. Thank you, Jim. Uh, folks, we have a, a special guest in the congregation with us this morning. Our director of missions, Brother Neil Donald, is here, and his lovely wife, Brother Neil, would you dismiss us in prayer this morning?